Well, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of John today, and we'll be in chapter 10, and we will primarily focus on verses 11 through 18. But before we read those verses, I want to read to you a few passages from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied and warned Israel, they warned the people of Israel as well as Israel's religious leaders about becoming blind, about failing to follow God's word. For example, in Deuteronomy 28, 15, it says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then when you go down to verses 28 through 29, we read of some of what these curses involve. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you will grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there will be no one to help you. And then as time rolls on, we see these warnings coming to fulfillment. For example, in Isaiah chapter 28, we read that in the day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment, for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. You hear that? The prophet and the priest will reel in their vision. They'll stagger in their vision. They'll err in their vision. And then in Isaiah 56, and 8 through 12, it says, The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow we will be like this day, great beyond measure. In Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10, we read, Go, say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then Ezekiel 12, verse 2, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And then when we get to the New Testament, we find statements like these. Jesus says, and he, uh, or says, and he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you blind guides who say everyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And then again in verse 19, you blind men. Beloved, it's against this backdrop that we find Jesus here in John chapters 9 and 10 in the Gospel of John. And as was the case with some of the previous miracles we have already seen in this gospel, this was not just some random act that Jesus did just to show his power. Jesus was very intentional with what he did in order to bring out the truth that would follow the miracle. Remember, we saw Jesus heal a paralytic of 38 years and what followed Jesus' discourse about the resurrection. We saw Jesus feed at least 5,000 people, these men, which then led to what? The declaration of Jesus being bred from heaven and how one must feed upon his flesh and drink of his blood if they want eternal life. Well, Jesus' declaration now of, of being a good shepherd here in John chapter 10 is based on the story of a man who was born blind and healed. When Jesus healed the man, this led to a disagreement with the Pharisees who refused to believe that it was a miracle and they tried to discredit Jesus. But the story concluded with the man worshiping and bearing witness to Jesus as the Messiah and the Pharisees driving him out of the synagogue. And this was an ironic situation in that the man gained both his physical sight and his spiritual sight. But the so-called spiritual leaders of Israel, those who claimed they could see, remained blind. And then Jesus declares in chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say, We see, your guilt remains. And so what follows then in chapter 10, Jesus now employs these pastoral metaphors of sheep, gatekeepers, and the gate of the sheepfold to identify himself as the gate of the sheepfold, verse 7, and the good shepherd, verse 11. He distinguishes himself from thieves, bandits, and strangers who do not enter by the gate and who the sheep refuse to follow. And Jesus also contrasts himself with the hired hand who only cares for personal gain and not for the sheep's well-being. These negative images used by Jesus are actually thinly veiled metaphors for the religious leaders who in their encounter with the blind man reveal their lack of compassion for the sheep who disregard the truth and fail to see Jesus for who he truly is. All that we have read 
from these prophets, from Ezekiel, Isaiah. This is all coming to a head. And it is in contrast to these blind shepherds of Israel that Jesus reveals himself. But what I want you to understand here, when we read verses 11 through 18 of John chapter 10, is that just as the miracle of healing the blind man was no random act, so neither are these pastoral metaphors randomly just picked out of thin air. There is something much deeper and profound going on here in John chapter 10. In fact, before we even read that section, I want to read one other Old Testament passage to you, Ezekiel 34. This is one of the many places where God addressed the blind shepherds of Israel, but then goes on to explain how he's going to straighten them and everything else out. Ezekiel 34 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lay down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they will feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? 
And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, Behold, I will, myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the, pla in the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield, yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beast of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they will no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Did you catch all that? Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, Ezekiel. Why? Because they feed themselves and not the sheep. The weak they have not strengthened. The sick they have not healed. The injured they have not bound up. The stray they have not brought back. The lost they have not sought. Did we not see this in action with the blind man? Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And yet, what was the response from these so-called shepherds? They reviled the blind man and cast him out of the synagogue. And so what does God say to these false shepherds in Ezekiel? Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. Again, verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. But then notice what he says in verses 23 through 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, isn't that interesting? In verse 11, God says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and it will seek them out. And yet, in verse 23, the one shepherd that is set over them is the son of David. For I, 
The Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. What are we seeing here in Ezekiel 34? Well, we're seeing that the one shepherd will be none other than God incarnate. And this great shepherd will be the one to rescue the sheep and reveal himself among the false shepherds of Israel who cared for no one but themselves. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel will go on to prophesy about this son of David and what this rescu rescuing of the sheep will involve. He says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I have gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. Now, having heard that backdrop, now listen to John chapter 10. Immediately after declaring the Jewish religious leaders, the so-called shepherds, to be blind, our Lord now goes on to declare this. For truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in but by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. Now this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You hear in Ezekiel? For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, beloved, I know there's a lot of reading, but I want you to understand these are not random miracles. These are not random metaphors. Everything from the miracle to the teaching is all intentional to do what? To reveal Jesus as the long-awaited promised Messiah. And that by believing him, you may have life in his name. Have we not said over and over again that that was the purpose of John's gospel? And yet here we have it again. He's telling us right here that he is that servant David, the son of David, the king, the prince, the one shepherd who has come to rescue his sheep. He has come to free them from their sins and cleanse them. He has come to sanctify his people and cause them by the power and work of the Holy Spirit to walk in God's rules and obey his statutes. And we can put all of this together simply by recalling what was promised from Ezekiel. But now Jesus is going to reveal and clarify even more for us regarding his mission. You know, you may read Ezekiel 34 through 37 and wonder, well, how exactly is all that going to happen? How is this servant David going to cleanse the sheep of their sin, of their idols, and give them a new heart and a new spirit? How is he going to cleanse the sheep from all their iniquities? Well, I want you to notice that Jesus highlights five times in just seven verses here in chapter 10, Notice what he highlights after declaring to be the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. In verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And then lastly, I have authority to lay it down. And what's the contrast to this? Verse 12, he who is as a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know, when I read that, I couldn't help but think about the blind man's parents. You remember that conversation they had? Do you remember how they answered the Pharisees when they were pressing, when they were pressed about their son? The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents who had received his sight. And so they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. If you recall, we mentioned how that, you know, that sounds innocent until you find out in the next two verses exactly why they answered that way. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Again, beloved, do you see what's happening here? Living parable. The wolves came for their son 
And out of the fear of man, the parents fled and left their son to defend himself alone against the wolves. But this is not what the good shepherd will do. Christ is the good shepherd. And one of the primary reasons he is the good shepherd from this text is that he is ready and willing to lay down his life for his sheep. But friends, I also want you to understand this. It's not just that Jesus is willing to die for his sheep. There are and were shepherds that were willing to die. As a matter of fact, think of James, the Apostle James, half-brother of Jesus. According to the historians, if it's, if it's accurate, there's actually an interesting connection between James and John chapter 10 and James's death. According to tradition, James was asked, what is the gate of Jesus? In other words, how is Jesus the gate? John chapter 10. They're asking James directly about it. And James replied that Jesus is the Savior. And on account of these words, many believed, even some of the rulers. Because of this, there was a commotion among the Jews and the scribes and Pharisees who said that there was a danger that everyone then would be looking for Jesus as the Christ because of what James said. And this took place during the Feast of Passover. So they placed James upon the pinnacle of the temple and told him to persuade the people not to be led astray concerning Jesus. And as James stood there, they cried out to James, You just one in whom we ought all to have confidence, for as much as the people are led astray after Jesus, the crucified one declare to us, What is the gate of Jesus? And James answered with a loud voice, why do you ask me concerning Jesus, the Son of Man? He himself sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power and is about to come upon the clouds of heaven. And they cried out, Oh, oh, the man is, the just man is also in error. And they went up and threw him off the pinnacle of the temple. And the fall didn't kill him. When they saw that the fall didn't kill him, they then began throwing stones at him. And then finally, one of the priests took a club and beat James over the head with it. James was willing to die and did die. But if this is all that Jesus meant, then Jesus would be no different than James or any other martyr. A common shepherd may be willing to die for his sheep, but he'd prefer to stay alive. After all, who's going to protect the sheep if the shepherd's dead? But beloved, Jesus here is not talking about being willing to die if it comes to it. Jesus is no common shepherd. Jesus is saying here, I came for this purpose, to lay down my life for the sheep. I have come to die for the flock the enemies and threats against my sheep, that is sin, idolatry, iniquities, and so on, will be defeated by the shepherd who dies in their place. This is the charge, Jesus says in verse 18, that I have received from my Father. This is the command. If you recall, 
Adam, who had the moral law written upon his heart, was also given an additional command. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If Adam had obeyed that command, he would have eventually secured eternal life for himself and his sheep, but he failed. And it was decreed that he would fail. Why? Because as Paul explains in Romans 5.14, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Jesus then comes as the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15.45, who is also given an additional command. Go, son, lay down your life for the sheep. And this second Adam does not fail. He completes his mission and ushers in a new creation. Beloved, there is nothing arbitrary or random to any of this. But then secondly, notice that he not only dies for the sheep, but he dies for sheep who are, who are his own and that he knows. We see this in John 10, again, verses 12 through 16. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, right? He's just doing this for the money. That's it. He don't own the sheep. They don't belong to him. He has no invested interest in them. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Friends, we are often told by many people that Jesus laid down his life for everyone without exception. That he died for everyone without exception. But that is not what Jesus says here. First, notice that he owns these sheep. Secondly, notice that those he owns, he knows and they know me. Now you got to ask yourself, what kind of knowledge is Jesus talking about here? Is Jesus merely talking about knowing about these sheep? He knows about them? Or is there something deeper going on here? Well, verse 15 clarifies for us what this kind of knowledge is, the nature of it. He says, I know my own and my, know, my own know me just as... The Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, the good shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know him in the same way that the Father knows the Son, and the Son the Father. And how do the Father and the Son know each other? This is clearly referring to an intimate knowledge, a relational knowledge. In other words, this is not referring to everybody without exception, but only to those whom the Father has chosen and given to the Son to redeem, the elect. We recall we've already encountered this idea earlier in the Gospel of John. Remember in John chapter 6, we read in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. 
In verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 65, And this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Here in chapter 10, Jesus will go on to say in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We will find out later in chapter 17 of this same gospel. Jesus will say, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then in verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I'm not praying for everybody in the world, without exception, I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. And then in John 18, 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now, some may want to argue that Jesus died for everyone without exception to make salvation merely possible. And it is then up to the individual to activate that by faith. And when they do, then the Son knows them, and then the Son. But beloved, Jesus will go on to say something here in chapter 10, verses 25 through 26, that squashes that reasoning. When some of the Jews gathered around him and asked, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Do you see his argument here? He didn't say, you don't belong to me as a a sheep, you're not of my sheep because you don't believe me, which is what you would expect him to say if what so many people teach about the atonement is true. That's not what he said. He says, you do not believe. Why? And here's the reason. Because you're not among my sheep. Those who are not of God's elect, those whom the Father had not given to the Son, will not trust in Christ. But all that the Father has given to the Son, John 6, 37, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Beloved, the good shepherd did not come to possibly die, if it just happens to come down to it, for everyone in general, hoping that some sheep will get their act together and follow his lead. No, what we clearly see here is that the good shepherd is given the command by the Father to come and to seek out those whom the Father gave to him and to lay his life down for them. 
And not only that, those who make up the elect would not just be from a few among the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. For he says in verse 16, that I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you hear that? Notice the emphatic language. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd. This isn't hypothetical. This is what Christ came to accomplish. This will be done. Again, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 32. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. By the way, that's John chapter 3. If you recall the language Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put upon you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart, uh, heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. And it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. I will do it, says the Lord. I will act. I will cause you to walk and obey. I will lay down my life for the sheep. I must bring them and they will listen to my voice and they will follow me. I know my own and my own know me. And the reason why some of you refuse to listen and to follow me is because you're not among my sheep. And then last and finally, I want you to notice this. It's not just that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As we said earlier, what good would it do for a shepherd to die and leave the sheep without a shepherd? That just creates more problems for the sheep. Another way to ask it is how can the son of David be the one shepherd if he's dead. No, this good shepherd will also rise from the dead. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And then verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Beloved, as wonderful and as essential the death of Christ is, it did not end at the cross. Jesus says, I lay it down that I may take it up 
again. Calvin writes, As the disciples might be deeply grieved on account of what they had heard about the death of Christ, and as their faith might even be greatly shaken, he comforts them by the hope of his resurrection, which would speedily take place. As if he said that he would not die on the condition of being swallowed up by death, but in order that he might soon rise again as a conqueror. And even at the present day, we ought to contemplate the death of Christ so as to remember at the same time the glory of his resurrection. Thus we know that he is life because in his contest with death, he obtained a splendid victory and achieved a noble triumph. This is why I don't make a big deal about Easter. We should be celebrating the resurrection of Christ 24-7 because there is no faith, there is no hope without it. And to just make it some, you know, once a year thing kind of informs me that you don't understand the significance of it. It wasn't random. It wasn't arbitrary. Paul would argue in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus had not been raised, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Beloved, without the resurrection, his death would have been meaningless. But of course, that would not happen. For just as the good shepherd had the authority to lay down his life, so he had the authority to take it up again. This was and is no ordinary common shepherd. And again, these are not random, arbitrary miracles, nor are they random, arbitrary pastoral metaphors. This is the Messiah, the long-awaited promised shepherd. He has come. I'll close with this quote. I like, I like again, the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. How it puts it here in Ezekiel 36. Sinners cannot save themselves. Salvation is all of God's grace and for his glory. Repeatedly, God said, I will in this chapter. That is Ezekiel 36. The Lord changes filthy idolaters into cleansed worshipers. He makes stubborn enemies into submissive servants and takes estranged outsiders and draws them into covenant friendship. Salvation is begun by God's initiative is effective by his power and is completed by his determination. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And while we should despair of saving ourselves, we should hope confidently in the Lord's salvation. Friend, are you hearing the good shepherd's voice today? Flee to him for salvation. Flee to him for life. Let's pray.